Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of domestic abuse, violence, and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Kelly Cochran looked her husband, Jason, in the eye. She could see how heartbroken he was. For months, he'd been begging her to give their relationship another shot. He'd do anything to get her back. At first, Kelly hadn't wanted anything more to do with him. As far as she was concerned, he'd served his purpose. But now she was ready to listen. Maybe, she thought, things could go back to the way they were before. The only problem was her new boyfriend, Chris Regan. He was the last obstacle standing in the way of her relationship with Jason. She had to prove to her husband that no one else would ever come between them. Kelly remembered her wedding night. Back then, she promised to do whatever it took to stay with Jason forever. So when he asked how they were going to fix their marriage, Kelly knew exactly what to do and the consequences would be deadly. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This week, We're covering Kelly and Jason Cochran. After years of ups and downs, the couple decided they needed a fresh start. But moving to Michigan's Upper Peninsula in 2014 only made things worse. Eventually, Kelly and Jason's marriage was on life support. Next week, we'll discuss the horrific lengths the couple went to, supposedly to keep their relationship alive. We'll cover a shocking disappearance that left the town reeling, along with the events that made Kelly Cochran a fugitive from the law. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. 
You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Not much is known about Kelly Cochran's childhood or the environment she grew up in. We know she was born in 1982 and raised in Hobart, Indiana. Her parents, Tim and Melanie Gaboyan, had a farm in the area. It seems Kelly and her two younger siblings lived a fairly average life in the small town. Now, before we go any further, it's important to note that many of these details come from Kelly herself. Over the years, she's told different versions of the same story, sometimes contradicting herself and other times telling outright lies. As such, the following information should be taken with a grain of salt. From the time she was a little girl, Kelly was defiant. She ran away from home on multiple occasions, even living on the street to avoid going back to her parents. And the older she got, the more serious her rebellion became. As a teenager, Kelly started to experiment with drugs and alcohol. Life on the farm was slow and monotonous. The drugs gave her the excitement she was looking for, but it never seemed to be enough. Over time, her drug use escalated until she was regularly using meth and heroin. Before I continue with Kelly's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for the show. According to research published in the 2018 Journal of Child Psychology and Psychiatry, it's actually pretty rare for people to use drugs under the age of 19. Teenagers are much more likely to consume alcohol than narcotics. The study found that less than 6% of teens take drugs in all, not including marijuana. Kelly was part of that small fraction. And it was a dangerous situation to be in. Before long, she developed a full-blown addiction. At some point, Kelly's family found out about her drug use and tried to help. They offered her support aimed at getting her clean and monitored her behavior around the clock. They hoped that eventually, Kelly would see the damage she was doing to herself and those around her but that wasn't how it happened. Instead, things got so bad that Kelly's parents sent her to a home for troubled girls. Unfortunately, putting her in a stricter environment only made things worse. Kelly hated authority in all its forms. Her drug use continued. No matter what, she refused to change. She insisted that she didn't have a problem even after she passed out in her plate of food, right in the middle of a family dinner. By the time Kelly was 18, she was totally out of control. Her mother, Melanie, was at her wit's end. After years of trying to be patient with her daughter, she decided it was time to change tactics. She tried tough love instead, kicking Kelly out of the house until she got clean. But it became a mixed message. Only a few months later, Kelly's grandmother died. The loss inspired Melanie to have a change of heart. This time, she told her daughter she could come home as long as she consented to random drug tests. Kelly had a condition of her own, 
she would come back to her parents and take the drug tests as long as her new boyfriend, Jason Cochran, could come with her. Jason's family lived on the farm next door to Kelly's. He was four years older, so though he'd known Kelly for almost her entire life, they didn't really hang out much as kids. But Hobart was a pretty small town and the social scene was too. It seemed inevitable that Jason and Kelly would reconnect as they became teenagers and started running in similar circles. It finally happened one summer when the two of them found themselves huddled around a bonfire with friends. For some reason, their eyes were drawn to one another across the burning embers. Sparks flew from there, both literally and figuratively. The next time the two ran into one another, they started to talk. Things went on like that until eventually, it became clear that the two wanted to be more than just friends. They started officially dating after Kelly graduated high school, and before long, they were inseparable. This was around the time Kelly's mom kicked her out of the house. In return for her daughter coming home, Melanie reluctantly accepted Jason too. It's unclear how she felt about him when he first moved in, but later on, she said the couple was dysfunctional from the get-go. Her daughter was more stubborn than ever, fiercely independent and very manipulative. It was clear she enjoyed toying with other people's feelings. To her, their emotions were nothing more than a code she had to crack. Once she knew how to push someone's buttons, she had no issue exploiting them for her own gain. By almost all accounts, Kelly was the dominant partner in her relationship with Jason. She used her cunning to get him to do whatever she asked, which honestly seemed to suit him just fine. Jason was largely passive by nature and almost always caved to Kelly. For the most part, he preferred to stay silent if it meant avoiding confrontation. So that was how he acted most of the time. But Jason also dealt with severe, sometimes debilitating mental health issues. When he fell into a depressive mood, a darker, more violent side of him emerged. Melanie described one incident where Jason allegedly beat a litter of kittens to death. It's unclear if he was ever violent towards Kelly. She told some people that he was physically abusive while she insisted to others that he never laid a hand on her. It's hard to know the truth. The one thing most people agreed on was that Kelly and Jason were an unlikely and ultimately incompatible match. When they eventually got engaged, Kelly's family told them as much. Of course, there was no use in warning them. As unstable as their relationship might have been, the couple absolutely refused to let anyone else tell them what to do. As usual, being told no only egged them on. On September 14th, 2002, when Kelly was 20 and Jason was 24, they got married in a Methodist church. The event was low-key but sweet. At least, that's how it looked on the outside. Most marriage vows are full of flowery language about love and loyalty, but Kelly and Jason's relationship was far from conventional and their words that evening were unsettling to say the least. Up on the altar, in front of their families and friends, 
the couple made a solemn pact. If either of them were ever unfaithful, the partner that cheated would be forced to kill their lover. It's unknown who initiated the pact, but most likely it was Kelly's idea. To her, love was a game, and the goal seemed to be to make her partners go as far as possible on her behalf. So the dysfunctional couple entered their new life together, bound by a twisted vow. A few months later, the Cochrans moved into their own home in Hobart. They were finally free to live as they pleased and bask in the joys of marital bliss. But the honeymoon phase doesn't last forever. And for Kelly and Jason, it was especially brief. Not long after settling into their house, their relationship was already on the rocks. Jason felt depressed and irritable. He blistered at the smallest inconveniences. Kelly couldn't stand a downer and snapped at him whenever he got moody. It wasn't just that she refused to give him the space he needed, she actively belittled him for his mental health struggles. Kelly believed she could keep Jason under her thumb by playing on his deepest insecurities. The prospect excited her. She was already a skilled manipulator, but there was always more to learn, and Kelly was chomping at the bit to get better. Coming up, Kelly and Jason's relationship becomes downright toxic. What could be more shocking than uncovering the deep, dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Carter from the podcast series, Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction and discover that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. From the government's link to Bigfoot and the otherworldly secrets of the Vatican, to the Grateful Dead's role in the spread of LSD, and more. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may just be outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. After getting married... Kelly and Jason Cochran stayed together in their hometown of Hobart, Indiana for a few years. The exact dates are unclear, but at some point, Kelly graduated from Purdue University. She majored in psychology and sociology with a minor in forensics. Kelly was committed to her education as a practical matter, since she believed her psychological expertise could be used to manipulate others. 
She kept a copy of the DSM-5 in the back of her truck. She'd often skim through the pages to teach herself the telltale signs of mental illness, or as she saw them, weaknesses that could be exploited. While in school, she also ran a pool installation and repair company with her husband. The laborious work put a lot of strain on Jason's body and caused him intense back pain. It seems likely that he was experiencing symptoms of sciatica, and it got more debilitating by the year. Eventually, the pain became unbearable. Jason was unable to perform sexually because of his back. He was barely able to move, let alone work. Kelly was faced with supporting their family, all on her own. The misfortune was a disaster for Jason's already low self-esteem. The depression he'd experienced for most of his life intensified. He felt like less than a man, unable to provide for his wife. Worse than that, he was completely dependent on Kelly for everything. Soon, his feelings of helplessness twisted into rage. Kelly claimed Jason's anger reached a tipping point in 2008. During a massive argument, he pulled out one of the many guns they kept inside the home and pointed it at Kelly's head. All the while, she goaded him, daring him to shoot her. And he did. Or at least he tried. According to Kelly, their guns were almost always loaded, except for that one time. From there, the relationship continued to deteriorate. Kelly's drug use worsened, Jason's depression deepened, and the cracks in their marriage turned to gaping holes. If they had any hope of staying together, they needed to do something drastic. So, Jason came up with a plan. He suggested they move to Michigan's Upper Peninsula together. The couple needed to try something new, and a change of scenery felt like a possible solution. Cut off from other influences, perhaps they hoped they could make a fresh start there. So in the dead of winter in 2014, Kelly and Jason Cochran packed up their entire lives, kissed their families goodbye, and drove the six hours to Northern Michigan. The Upper Peninsula is just across the Wisconsin state line on the edge of the Ottawa National Forest. The region is flanked by the Great Lakes and in the winter, the snow can reach waist height. Despite its physical beauty, the region isn't for the faint of heart and the numbers reflect that. Iron County, where the couple bought their house, had a population of just under 12,000 people. The closer they got to their new home, the more hopeful Kelly and Jason started to feel. The air was cool and clean, and the swaths of farmland they were used to seeing were replaced by birch forests blanketed with snow. It seemed like the couple was on the verge of entering a new season in their relationship, and the town of Caspian suited their needs perfectly. Kelly got a gig as a cashier at a hardware store, and later a second job as a waitress at a local restaurant. Jason's back pain was as bad as ever, so he stayed home. He mostly smoked weed, fished, and played computer games. Things really didn't change that much despite the move, so it didn't take long for the couple to fall right back into their bad habits. 
Jason hated how often Kelly was gone, leaving him all by himself. And Kelly, ambitious as she was, thought Jason was pathetic. She wanted to move forward with her life, but felt her husband's disability was holding her back. Her attitude only made Jason more depressed, and in Kelly's eyes, more pitiful. They fought so often and so hard that eventually, it just became easier to avoid each other completely. With Kelly working two jobs, it wasn't hard for them to drift apart, especially since she was always searching for something better. In May, Kelly applied to be an electrical assembler at Oldenburg Group Incorporated, a company that manufactured military and mining equipment. She loved working with her hands and was excited the new position would give her the chance to do that. She wanted the job so much that she actually stopped doing drugs to pass the screening. And her hard work paid off. In June, she was hired. She started at the factory full-time soon after that and hit the ground running. Kelly learned fast. She got on well with her new coworkers, who described her as kind and helpful. Thanks to her outgoing personality, she made friends easily wherever she went. And to Jason's dismay, she started spending even more time away from home. She always chose to hang out with her new colleagues over going back home to see him. Here's where the story gets a bit murky. Kelly claimed that during this period, she and Jason agreed to separate. That's why she started to date other people. According to Kelly, Jason was fully on board with the new arrangement. Yet, though she claimed Jason was totally aware of her other relationships, she also tried to keep them a secret from him. So it's impossible to know what the truth really was. But no matter what, Jason was clearly not happy with the way Kelly was acting. One night in July, he heard a message ding on Kelly's phone. A man named Ken was confirming the details of a date with her that evening. Jason was crushed. When Kelly left for the date, he sat back in his chair, dropped his head into his hands, and wept. He still loved Kelly and desperately wanted to make their relationship work, but he felt like he didn't have much to offer her. And of course, Kelly made sure to remind him of that at every opportunity. She told her husband that the only reason she hadn't divorced him yet was because he couldn't survive without her. Kelly knew that if she wanted to keep Jason under her spell, she had to keep him feeling worthless and small. She belittled him in every way she knew how, and seeing her go out with other men was one of her most effective methods of control. Considering how far she was willing to go to manipulate others, Kelly displayed qualities consistent with Machiavellianism. People with traits like these tend to see others as tools for their own ends. A 2017 study published in Europe's Journal of Psychology examined women with high levels of Machiavellianism. Researchers found these women are more likely to seek partners outside of their relationships and engage in a game-playing style of love. We don't know if Kelly ever actually intended to leave Jason, but the mere threat of it was enough to send him into a tailspin. He seethed every time she left the house to meet one of her suitors. 
but one of them seemed to particularly set Jason off, Chris Regan. Chris was an older man with his share of baggage. His first marriage was to his high school sweetheart. The couple had two kids together. From there, he joined the Air Force at some point in the 80s. During his time in the service, Chris cultivated a deep love of the outdoors. After he returned home, he often went camping with his children. He even learned how to sail and scuba dive. Despite his deep love for his family, however, his first marriage didn't last. In 2010, he and his wife of 28 years got divorced. He remarried later on, but that relationship ended after just a few months. That's when Chris reconnected with an old friend on Facebook named Terry O'Donnell. Over time, the pair realized they had a lot in common and started dating. It was long distance at first. Terry lived in Iron County while Chris was about 350 miles east. But only a few months into their relationship, he decided to move to the Upper Peninsula to be with her. At that point, things were going well in Chris's life. He was in a happy, healthy relationship. He'd also reconnected with his eldest son, Chris Jr., who lived nearby. Unfortunately, the good times didn't last. In early 2013, Chris reportedly cheated on Terry. She ended the relationship that April, though the two remained close friends and continued to speak almost daily. Then, in December of 2013, Chris got a job with the Oldenburg Group. Thanks to his extensive time in the Air Force, he was able to land a position supervising the company's military projects. It seemed like the perfect fit, and Chris loved his work. The following spring, his son came to live with him while he looked for his own place. It was refreshing to spend time with his boy again. Chris Jr. had just visited Florida and the men spent lots of time looking at photos from his trip. After one such night of reminiscing, Chris had an impulsive idea. He thought he and his son should move to a different state altogether. He figured some warm weather would do them both some good. Junior was sold, and the two of them started to brainstorm for the next chapter of their lives. Eventually, they landed on Asheville, North Carolina as their next destination. It seemed like everything they were looking for. It was nestled high in the Blue Ridge Mountains, which meant there would be lots of camping, hiking, and biking trails. The two men planned to make the trek in the fall of 2014. In the meantime, Chris continued to live and work in Iron River as he made preparations for his big move. He figured a casual fling would be a nice way to fill his time. Instead, it would be the worst mistake of his life. Coming up, things come to a head between Chris and Kelly Cochran. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com Spotify. TommyJohn.com Spotify. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. 
You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now, back to the story. In the summer of 2014, Chris Regan started to casually date Kelly Cochran. He'd first met Kelly when she applied to work with him at the Oldenburg Group. He even interviewed her for the job. Their relationship was strictly professional at first, but the sexual tension between them was palpable. In June, the two met up for a hike. One thing led to another and the date ended with sex. Chris knew Kelly was separated from her husband and that they still lived together. Normally, he avoided complicated women at all costs, but this time he wasn't looking for anything serious. He assumed Kelly's arrangement meant that she wasn't either. Besides, Chris was moving to North Carolina in the fall anyway. Their relationship had a concrete end date. It was perfect. By July, He and Kelly were meeting up four or five times a week. They had a steady routine going. Usually, she went over to Chris's apartment to cook dinner for them. They'd eat together and then have sex. After that, she'd go back home to Jason. Kelly said she refused to spend the night at Chris's out of respect for her husband. It was a strange concession to make, considering she was already sleeping with him, but Chris didn't seem to mind. He wanted to keep things low-key anyway. He was adamant that no one at work find out they were seeing each other. There are conflicting accounts about exactly why he was so insistent on that one point, but according to someone who knew them both, Chris was worried about how their relationship might look. Kelly was rough around the edges, crass and unrefined. She was the exact opposite of Chris, who saw himself as a respectable veteran. Despite their efforts to keep things under wraps, however, their coworkers still caught on. They teased Chris about it initially, but the fuss died down pretty quickly. Before long, he was back to his old groove. Things weren't going nearly so well for Kelly Cochran. By August, her relationship with her husband was at an all-time low, Now, she wasn't just threatening Jason with divorce. She actually wanted to go through with it. Jason was devastated, not for the first time. He knew Kelly was seeing other men. He let her do it with hopes that it would prevent her from leaving him. If he couldn't satisfy her sexually, it felt wrong to keep her from finding fulfillment elsewhere. But the idea of divorce shattered him. He grew up in a home where you worked through your problems, no matter how bad they were. Divorce meant failure, and he already thought he'd failed in every other aspect of his life. This would be the final nail in the coffin. What hurt the most was that Jason truly loved Kelly, even after everything she'd put him through. Her rejection made his depression that much worse. By September, he'd stopped eating and sleeping. He lost nearly 50 pounds. Pretty soon, he was contemplating suicide. He heard voices in his head, 
telling him the world would be better off without him. Whatever Jason was dealing with was serious, and the auditory hallucinations marked a disturbing escalation. By the end of the month, Jason was terrified that he was a threat to himself or others. He checked himself into a psychiatric ward. Kelly seemed indifferent to her husband's suffering. She continued to date Chris as well as a few other men. She even texted her sister saying she was going to visit Jason in the hospital to end things between them once and for all. We don't know if that conversation ever happened, but five days after checking himself into the psychiatric ward, Jason was released and returned home. What happened next is disputed. On September 27th, a few days after Jason returned, Kelly told her supervisor her husband was threatening to kill her and himself. The next day, she didn't show up to work. The day after that, the HR director at Oldenburg called the Iron River Police Department and asked them to do a wellness check. When police arrived at the Cochran's home, no one was there. Nothing further came of the call. Jason, on the other hand, told a different story. He claimed that after he was released from the hospital, he felt like he'd finally made peace with Kelly's many affairs. He still wasn't happy, but thinking about her with another man no longer flung him into the depths of his depression. The doctors prescribed strong drugs like Zoloft and Lorazepam to help him cope with his stressors. And as his outlook on life improved, Jason said his relationship with Kelly did too, We'll likely never know whether he actually threatened to kill his wife, but there were signs their relationship improved after Jason was released. After all, Chris Regan was preparing for his move to North Carolina. He would be out of Jason's life soon. Kelly knew Chris was about to leave. Later on, she insisted that he'd asked her to come along, but everyone who knew Chris, including his son, Junior, were positive he wouldn't have done that. He was looking forward to starting totally fresh. If he was serious about bringing Kelly along, he likely would have told his son about it. But he never mentioned Kelly at all. On the night of October 13th, Chris and his son chatted on the phone about their upcoming adventure together. As Chris packed his things, he made a friendly bet with Junior. The last one to Asheville had to buy dinner. Back at the Conkren home, Jason and Kelly were slowly getting back to a good place. By October, Kelly was making more of an effort to spend time with her husband, and he was no longer riddled with anxiety every time she left to meet Chris. Sometime during this period, Kelly officially agreed to give her marriage another shot but things were so far gone by that point, she knew they'd have to do something extreme to make it work. When Jason asked her how they could possibly fix their marriage, she knew exactly what to say. She had made a promise to him on their wedding night. Now, it was time to follow through. The two of them had to kill Chris Regan. Technically, according to the pact, Kelly had to be the killer, but she reportedly instructed Jason to do it in her place. Chris may have been her lover, but she wanted to see how far Jason would go to prove his devotion. She knew Jason wouldn't say no, 
She'd ground him down for years, little by little. He believed she was his only chance for a happy future. This was his last shot. He had to do something big enough to make up for every last one of his previous failures. So, Jason agreed to Kelly's scheme. Together, the couple started hashing out their plan for murder. Jason wanted to go straight to Chris's apartment and get it over with, but Kelly disagreed, sensing how difficult that would make the cleanup process. It had to be at their house, where they could control the flow of evidence. Kelly was making use of her minor in forensics. She thought she knew how to get away with murder. As usual, Jason was on board with whatever she wanted. Kelly texted Chris on the morning of October 14th to invite him over. She told him Jason was out of town, so they wouldn't have to worry about any interruptions. She planned to cook them something special. Chris thought about the offer for a moment. His move wasn't set for another few weeks. Still, he had a lot of packing to do, and he had to drive down to Asheville the next day to take a drug test for his new job but he enjoyed hanging out with Kelly. He realized it might be one of the last times he ever saw her, so he agreed to dinner. Around 4.30 p.m., he arrived at the house. He parked his car in an alley nearby so Kelly's neighbors didn't see him. Then he walked around to the back door. Kelly was waiting there to greet him. She said she'd made lasagna just for him. But they never got that far. The second Kelly let Chris into the house, the two got intimate right there in the doorway. Little did Chris know, the two of them weren't the only ones there. When Kelly and Chris started to have sex, she looked down the stairs into the darkness and smiled knowingly. Her anticipation intensified with every passing moment. All of a sudden, a gunshot rang out from the basement the bullet hit Chris in the back of the head, killing him instantly. He fell to the ground, blood streaming down the stairs. Jason emerged from the bottom of the steps, loaded gun still in his hand. He and Kelly looked down at Chris's body and then at each other. An electric attraction coursed between them, but their job wasn't over yet. Together, they dragged Chris down the stairs they would deal with the body later. First, they had to get rid of his car. Kelly already had the perfect place in mind. One of them hopped into Chris's gray Hyundai Genesis and the other got into Kelly's white truck. Both drove to a park and ride about 30 miles north of Caspian. Kelly knew the spot because she used to meet up with one of her lovers there. The couple abandoned Chris's car in the lot, climbed back into their truck and drove home. By the time they got back, Kelly and Jason couldn't contain their feelings for each other any longer. All of the fighting and dysfunction of the past few years evaporated. Suddenly, they remembered all of the things they loved about each other. Intoxicated by what they'd just done, the couple had sex for the first time in forever, all while Chris Regan's body lay lifeless in their basement. It seemed like their sadistic plan had served its purpose. Chris was gone and their marriage was no longer on life support. At least, 
for the moment. Little did the couple know that the most difficult test of their love was just about to begin. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back next week with another episode. For more information on the murder of Chris Regan, amongst the many sources we used, we found Where Monsters Hide, Sex, Murder, and Madness in the Midwest by M. William Phelps, extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Scott Stronick, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Sarah Hussein, with writing assistance by Natalie Pertsovsky and Tara Wells, fact-checking by Haley Milligan, and research by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Thank you.